How can we pray when we are overwhelmed with grief, or angry, or disappointed with God? What is our part? As we continue in our mini-series on Psalm 119, Pastor Craig explores how to pray when our souls feel broken. Let's join Sojourn now. We're going to do a second message out of Psalm 119. You can look at Psalm 119, verse 25, if you'd like. Uh, We're talking about praying in pain, praying when you're in pain. To pray when our faith runs high with joy flowing is easy, but then disappointment hits. Um, I think, you know, a lot of Christians will be disappointed the next month or so with politics, who knows, a little more seriously. uh, Sometimes very hard things happen. Grief, loss of function, cancer, a loved one with dementia, death. What does prayer look like then? So to see what prayer looks like then, we'll read Psalm 119 of the Hebrew section Dalit, the verses 25 to 32. Um, I'm going to read my own translation for various reasons, so if it looks a little different than yours, don't worry. Okay, but here we go. Verse 25, how do we respond? How do we pray when we're in pain? The psalmist says, my soul clings to the dust. Restore my life according to your word. I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your permanent things, your statutes. Cause me to understand the way of your instructions and I'll meditate thankfully on your miraculous acts. Ah, My soul melts away from grief. Cause me to arise according to your word. Turn from me the way of falsehood. Your instructions give me grace. I choose the way of faithfulness. I meditate on your judgments. I cling to your testimonies. Yahweh, do not make me ashamed. I run in the way of your commands. I run because you set my heart free. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, open our hearts and minds as we look at your word to understand how to pray when it's not easy to pray, when things are not going right, when they're challenging, Lord. Fill our souls with your truth and bring freedom and deliverance today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tiny bit of background, another little piece like we gave you last week. Psalms, you may have noticed, is divided into five books. They're not equal in size, and uh, you can look and see how they're divided up. But if you look at them carefully, this is not to be overdone here, but roughly book one is a little bit like relating to issues of Genesis. Book two is a little bit like issues of deliverance and salvation, the book of Exodus. Book three, a little like Leviticus. Book four, a little like Numbers. And book five, a little bit like Deuteronomy. Right? There's a little bit of rough parallel there. Psalm 119, however, may originally have actually closed the book of Psalms, but then they added some more in making up book five. And so book five, starting with Psalm 107, looks a little bit like this. Psalm 107 to 118, God is the deliverer. Psalm 119, of course, is very Deuteronomy-like. God's word is life, right? And then there is a series of psalms that they call the Psalms of Ascent. What that means is that, you see, Jerusalem was built on the highest hill in the area. So three times a year, every four months, they had big festivals, and everyone was supposed to walk into Jerusalem. And so you sang these songs as you ascended up to Jerusalem, getting ready to celebrate either the day of Passover or some major festival, right? And then they close off with a few uh, evangelistic 
Psalms, Invitations to Praise. And that's the book, the book five of, uh, that we're looking at today, Psalm 119, out of book five. And so back to verse 25, what about when you're in the dust? He says, my soul clings to the dust. Devak, clings. Now, I don't know, I don't think I have any of my Hebrew students here yet. I think that North Central students are mostly on break. Uh, I don't see any Hebrew folks here. Maybe, oh, wait a minute, no, Ava. Ah, do you happen to know the first use in the Hebrew Bible of the word davak, cling? What's the first clinging that's mentioned in the Bible? Genesis 2, a man will leave. Yes, a man, uh, Matt knows. When did you start studying Hebrew? Oh, he has a wife. That's how he understands. Okay, so yeah, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Woo, right? Okay, a very positive word. So pretty dramatic. This would be a word familiar to the psalmist. But he says, now I'm cleaving to dust. Maybe he lost his wife. Nothing left but dust. So he says, restore my life according to your word. It can't be good, right, to cling to dust. Disappointment, grief, and devastation. But then look at verse 32 again, the end of this little section. I run in the way of your commands because you set my heart free. Or some translate, you enlarged my heart. So the question here today is, how do you get from hugging dust <laughs> to running free and rejoicing in the commands of God? All right, so let's look at it. Um, how does he get there? How do we get from the dust of disappointment to a heart running free? One other background note maybe I should mention. Uh, when it says the Dalit section, the idea is that the first word of every verse there starts with the Hebrew word letter for D, Dalit. And so the, the words that occur are cling twice, Derek, weigh five times, and Dalif, weep once, right? So it's the da-da-da, right? Okay, so here we go. How do we get from the dust of disappointment to a heart running free? Several steps to freedom. The first step to freedom the psalmist models is facing the pain. My soul clings to the dust. He's not papering over this, right? He's exposing how he's feeling. My soul clings to the dust. He expresses how he feels when the bottom drops out in life. By verse 31, he's clinging to God's testimonies. And so we're going to look at this process, how he goes from dust to testimonies, right? So verse 26 what does he say? I recounted my ways and you answered me. In other words, I told you all about how this came about. Whatever this disaster is, I recounted and you answered me. He did experience the answer of God. We don't know exactly what it was, but in response, he says, teach me, your Bible probably says statutes, teach me your statutes. Uh, in other words, statutes are the things that God has put in the world of binding force and permanence. So in our discussions, we, we might translate that permanent things, right? I, I've, I had a disaster happen in my life. I've told you all about it and you answered me. So now would you teach me the permanent things? Tell me the stuff that doesn't change, Right? What can I really rely on when everything is shaking? What are the permanent things, the statutes, the things that don't move, right? So out of that experience, then God answers him. So, you know, what I like is he pours, he says, I recounted everything to you. You know how it is sometimes when things are really bad. You even know you're not thinking right, right? You know you don't have the right attitude, but he still tells that to the Lord, and then God answers him. 
Right? You kind of know you've got either a bad attitude or you're, you're depressed or you're angry, you're frustrated. You know you're not quite right, but he tells the Lord and the Lord answers him. He gets it out. You know, if we ranted to the Lord more, we'd rant on Facebook less. Just a thought. Okay, yeah, be more edifying, I think. So anyway, okay, so, but he rants with the Lord and, uh, you know, this doesn't make sense, you know, it's not right, but he gets it out with God. And then he says, again, as I've already mentioned, teach me your permanent things, the core truths that do not change. He knows that to learn the unchanging permanent things will be his life preserver in the swirl of emotion, of disappointment, temptation, grief, confusion. The permanent things will be his lifeline. We need to know the permanent things. Now, there's a mini chiasm here. You know what I mean? In, in Hebrew poetry, they, they start with an idea, they give you another one, another one, and then they go back to the first one. That's a chiasm. So look at carefully, just to see this, verse 25 and 28. My soul clings to the dust, restore my life according to your word. My soul melts away from grief. Same idea, right? Different metaphor. My soul melts away from grief. What does he say again? Cause me to arise according to your word. You see that parallelism? So again, he's returning to the issue, bring, coming back to it, right? Uh, referring to deep pain, but both of them look for restoration. How? Ketorah, according to your Torah. Now your Torah, it probably translates law, and that's okay, but you need to have a little bigger, especially in Psalm 119, you need to have a little bigger picture of Torah here. Torah is law in that it's right and wrong. It's true. But it, the idea in Old Testament theology is much deeper. It's probably best translated instruction. Restore me according to your instruction. In other words, is God's instructions about life, his laws? Well, sure. You know, that's one part of it. It's like the right and wrong. Yes. But it's deeper than just now, Keith, don't do this. Right? It's, hey, Keith or Jake, here is how to accomplish what you're seeking to accomplish through the human spirit. Hey, Matt, here is how to find fulfillment, right? So yeah, it's, it's laws, yes, but it's instruction in how to live life the way that God designed us to live, right? And so he knows that he has to be restored in line with the instruction of the Lord. So the first step to freedom is, is facing the pain, but then we've already kind of headed toward it, but let's say it. The second step to freedom is then clinging to the truth. So look at verse 29, the second half of this poem. There's two ways mentioned. Notice that in 29 and 30. Turn me from the way of falsehood. Your instruction is my grace right? Again, your Torah, your law. I choose the way of faithfulness. I meditate on your judgment. See the parallelism there? I've got, there's two ways here, the way of falsehood and the way of faithfulness, right? So we're going to dig those out a little bit. So verse 29 opens up a sobering reality. I know I've experienced this. In grief and disappointment and disillusionment opens us to falsehood. I'll say that again. Grief Disappointment and disillusionment can open us to falsehood. We're vulnerable when we're in pain. Uh, faith didn't work, so I'm going to do this. 
So will we plunge into hedonistic despair or will we restore our perspective? That's the key question. Hence the cry, turn me from falsehood. He feels the pull. Well, you deserve some relief. Who will know? It won't matter. God will forgive you. All those seductions, right? So now, when sin actually feels like it makes sense, he must make two choices. Verse 30, I choose the way of faithfulness. The word for faithfulness is in Hebrew, I'll say this because you're going to recognize it, is emunah. What religious word does that sound like? Emunah. Emunah. Amen. Yeah. Amen, it's from that word, means may it be true. May it be faithful. May it be reliable, right? He's saying, I choose the way, I, I reject the way of falsehood. I choose the firm way. And verse 31, I cling to your testimonies. Now, see the change. He was clinging to dust in verse 25. Now he's clinging to your testimonies. God's testimony. Now, these are all words for God's word, right? But the, they're, they're synonyms that help us to understand testimonies. What is a testimony? If, if Nicole comes up to me, my daughter Nicole, and she says, Dad, this new heavy metal group, this Christian metal group, they are so good, and I'm telling you, they are right on theologically, right? That's her testimony, and I can trust her testimony. Because, like, theologically, this girl's got it together, okay? I'll just say that, right? So if she says that some heavy metal group has got good theology, she's right, okay? That's a, her testimony, about what is, if you don't like heavy metal, don't worry about it, okay? It's, it's just an illustration. All right, some of you are looking concerned, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine, okay. All right, so yeah, it, it's her testimony. Well, these are God's testimonies about what is reliable in our lives. It's God's statement about what is good and true for human flourishing. And can you tell he feels just a little bit nervous? Verse 31, I claimed your testimonies, so don't make me ashamed, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here, Lord, and I'm just going to believe that what you say about life is true, so don't make me ashamed. Don't, like, I don't want to look like a fool here, okay, Lord? So help me out, <laughs> right? And so I'm going to trust you that what you say about life, this is very significant. He's changing what he clings to, not dust, but God's testimony about reality. So how about us? Do we trust God's testimony about what causes human flourishing? Godly sexuality or shortcuts? Faith and generosity or buying into that my self-worth is linked to my net worth? That's a middle-aged guy's temptation. <laughs> Godly achievement or ego-driven status-seeking? The kingdom of God or earthly power? The kingdom of God or earthly power. What we invest in reveals whether we trust God's testimony about what is good and true for human flourishing. Again, the permanent things, the really permanent things. 
So the second step to freedom is clinging to truth, right? So we talked about, you know, get the emotion out, talk, be real, but then cling to truth. But there's a third principle embedded in these eight verses that I want to bring out. The final step to freedom is grasping God's ways. Now, verse 29 is very important. He says, turn me from the way of falsehood for your instructions. Give me grace. In other words, to know how life works brings grace into our lives. But verse 27 tells us a little bit more. Cause me to understand the way of your instructions. Now, wait a minute. We've been talking about God's word, his truth, his testimonies, his instruction, but he doesn't want to just know the instructions. Here's the rule book, right? Some Christians, they just want to know the rule book. What is what, you know, just tell me. Yeah, right? No, he says, I want to understand the ways behind the instructions. This will really help you. What is God really after? What are the ways of God in the world? It actually says, um, I cannot remember where it is right now because I didn't plan on saying it today, but um, it talks about God revealed his, his deeds to the children of Israel, but his ways to Moses. You can just you know, live on the deeds of God if you want, but you need to know the ways of God. Why? He says, cause me to understand the way of your instructions, what you're doing in the world, and then I will be able to meditate thankfully on your miraculous acts. In other words, he strongly implies that if you don't know what God is doing, you're going to miss the miracles half the time. You catch that? If I understand your ways, then I will recognize what God is doing, and my expectations will be such that I will see what God is doing in my life and in the world around me. When we understand his agenda, we understand why he might actually be allowing a struggle. When we understand his agenda, we may understand, hey, I see why you're not answering this prayer because there's something else you are doing, right? And then I will meditate thankfully. On, uh, he'll recognize the miracle. So let's give an illustration to help fill this out a little bit. If I think that it's God's job to make me financially secure... You know, I read the Old Testament, I say, okay, he blesses the righteous, okay, so God's job is to make me financially secure. Now, that's not actually what the Bible says. It does say he blesses obedience, but, you know, if I say that's God's job, then I see financial crisis as a failure on God's part. But what does the Bible actually teach about provision? Man does not live by bread alone, but what? By every word of God. In other words, every promise of God. In other words, what, we're just be, what God's promise with provision is not financial security, but manna. Oh. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't save money in, our, you know, in a market society, et cetera, et cetera. Right? I understand there's cultural differences. I get that. But the bottom issue does not change. That if I recognize that what God's really after is trust, that I really believe his word, then I will recognize the opportunity. And when he does provide, rather than like, oh, well, praise God, finally did that. 
You'd be like, whoa, Lord, look, I trusted you and you came through. You see what I'm saying? So when you understand that's not the only way of God, but when you understand God's ways and that what he's really trying to do in us is not root us more deeply in this world, but he is preparing us to take places of responsibility in the next world. And the life of faith is the core issue. So that we mentioned earlier, I trust Jesus Christ for my salvation. Some Christians, it's in its right. But some Christians preach that like that's the end of the matter. That is the beginning. That's called being born again. That's your first chance to believe. Then it's a life of faith from then on, right? And, it, and many, when you're following him most closely and trusting him more, sometimes you have less evidence in the midst for his goodness because he trusts you. I believe it was one of the little Teresas. I think it was St. Teresa of Avila, but I might have got it wrong. If I got it wrong, pardon me. But she said, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them, Lord. In other words, she, pursuing the Lord, following closely, had a lot of challenge in her life. And she led a whole group of people that dedicated their life to prayer, a bunch of nuns. You know what I mean? But it's like, whoa, this is hard. Right? So sometimes, I hope this is not the case for our wonderful Thailand missionaries, but sometimes the very people that are doing God's will in the most obvious way have the greatest difficulty. And then people around them often, they often have grace to be gracious, but the people around them then get mad. I had this happen when my wife died. You know, God gave me grace. I had people around me going, what's God doing? You know, <laughs> well, I don't know, but I, you know, you know, and so it's like in those moments, right? Lord, we trust. We trust. Man does not live by financial, relational, emotional, provisional, but by the word of God. God is teaching us the ways of God involve testing, is what I'm saying. The ways of God involve faith, not just theoretical faith. Okay, I believe in Jesus on the cross. That's very important. I don't want to minimize that. But the faith that God is doing in your life is concrete, practical, daily stuff. You know, Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abram, he started the whole thing. <laughs> it says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Did he believe God for eternal salvation in Jesus Christ? No. What did he believe God for? Come on. What did he believe God for? A son. What was most precious to him in this life. And eventually he was required to symbolically sacrifice the very gift of God. We have to understand the ways of God or we will be mad at God. We have to understand the agenda of God. He loves you. He wants to bless you. But his goal is not a comfortable life for you. His goal is what? The image and likeness of Jesus Christ reproduced in you. The character of Jesus Christ. That's his goal. So be ready and understand and rightly interpret. So here's a few questions to ask yourself as we close. Make a lifetime study of God's ways 
by asking questions like this. What long-term kingdom of God result could come from what I'm going through right now? Or another way to ask the same thing, what response will I wish I had made 100 years from now up in heaven? (laughs) What will I wish I would have done, right? (laughs) Kind of saying the same thing. Or what light does scripture shed on this issue? Or what pattern from God's ways in the Old and New Testament are relevant to my situation? When we do that, verse uh, 32, where is it? I don't know. Uh, um, Yeah, verse 27, when I I understand the ways of God's instructions or procedures, why you do the way things the way you do, then I'll be thankful for, and I'll recognize your miraculous acts. And then verse 32, I will run in the way of his commands because my heart's been set free or enlarged, right? When I, when I get it, I'm like, yes, woo, right? I get it, Lord. So I'm not gonna fight what God's doing. I might have natural human grief. There might be trouble, but I'm like, Lord, I get it. I've got your peace. I see what you're doing, and I want to cooperate. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So the final step to freedom is grasping God's ways. So how do we pray when we're frustrated in grief, pain, or disappointment, when our soul is clinging to dust? How do we make it back to running in freedom? First, face the pain. Deeper issues like sexual addiction, personal issues, or societal issues like racism, involve a grief, a mourning, a lamenting, and acknowledging of evil before we can move forward. Sometimes you got to cling to the dust for a while. Lord, this is evil. It's wrong, whether it's me personally or the society I'm a part of, and, and being willing to face the pain. But then secondly, cling to not the dust, but the truth. Reject the shortcut of falsehood and cling to God's testimonies. Thirdly, grasping God's ways. God has an agenda. He is out in our own individual personality with all of our strengths and weaknesses. Some of us are smarter. Some of us are less smart. Some of us are certainly better looking. Others not so much. Uh, Some of us are getting older and less good looking. Anyway, whatever. No. You understand what I'm saying? We all have different abilities. But he has one underlying agenda. The image and likeness of Jesus Christ, that is universal. And it's going to look a little different in each of us because he delights in diversity. But it's going to be there. The core issues are going to be there. So one illustration and we close. Personally, I wrestled with a legalistic, human-centered Christianity for six years. And in God's goodness, the pain would not go away until I faced my confusion and misbelief and changed my thinking. And then I was able to run in his commands with a heart set free. You possibly could be sitting here this morning and you've got something like that where you just keep running into, keep running, keep running. It impacts you emotionally or it impacts your relationships. And you keep hitting the, you know, keep hitting the same wall and you live in a constant state of deja vu. Does that, anybody relate to that? <laughs> Okay, 
God's trying to get through to something here, right? It's like, here we are again. Lord, this looks very familiar. Different faces, different places, but same issue. What's Lord, what's going on, right? So my question to you, if that's the case, is what is God trying to get into? What is God trying to do? Stand together. Let's pray. And don't forget the prayer and fasting <laughs> before we pray. He said, yeah, sorry. But let's pray. But I, just, I have a note here. You're going to have a chance to pray and fast. If you've never fasted, by the way, don't just, you know, eat a steak one day and drink water the next. That's a bad idea. It leads to unmentionable issues. <laughs> <laughs> move toward a fast lightly heading more toward vegetables and fruits and you know a lot of water and break it the same way okay so you know maybe try one meal then two meals you know something like that we ease into it right if you want to know more about that talk to me but but we do encourage you god is working he's forming you we're gonna pray right now but we're gonna invite you to three weeks of prayer and fasting some of you are guests here this morning because of the dedication and if something has grabbed your heart feel free to join us online uh, you know, you might be from across the state or whatever, but feel free to join us Wednesday nights. We're going to be praying together, and we're just all going to be online for COVID safety, but uh, we're going to pray together. We're going to seek the Lord. And what we found historically, uh, no surprise, is that out of the, we pray all year, but out of those three weeks, often key uh, issues of the church-wide, but also uh, friends, uh, uh, children, people that need the Lord and need to move forward in the Lord, many times there's breakthroughs uh, right after those three weeks of prayer and fasting. So join with us. Let's just pray a moment now and ask, what is God speaking to you? What is he trying to bring into your life? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, you are so good. To know you is so, so life-giving. And it's so powerful that you are determined not to leave us in any kind of bondage, in any kind of lack of freedom in our inner spirit. And really, we might as well say yes, because you are just absolutely persistent and you're committed to bringing us into freedom. So we pray where there is like, oh no, what will God say if I, if I completely release my heart? Or what will God do? Or what will he require of me? I just pray you would lift all those fears right now in Jesus' name. We don't need to be afraid. Just lift all those fears in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that, that you have only good for us, really. And, and everything you do in our lives, it's intended for our good, for our ultimate freedom and joy. So Father, lift all of those burdens all those questions, all those things that would keep us nervous. And I pray that you would release the height and width and breadth and depth of the love of Christ in this moment. Release it, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And just as we're waiting before God, I ask you just to close your eyes. My eyes are open. God's dealing with you around consecration. You just, you just are like, this is the time for me to utterly devote my life to the Lord. Just raise your hand. I'll pray with you. Just a call to consecration. You're just sensing that call. Yeah. So Lord, in Jesus' name, we consecrate all of our lives, our thoughts, words, deeds, finances, relational energy, our imagination. We consecrate to you. Father, knowing, and we do so with joy, 
knowing that you intend only good. Father, pray for um, artistically gifted folks in this room, whether music or writing or visual art. Lord, I pray there's a consecration of those gifts, Lord. We pray a freedom from self, a freedom from self, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, those that are in people-oriented uh, education, medicine, there's a, a constant interaction with people, business. Uh, uh, we just ask a lifting of the stresses of that. We pray for the oil of the Holy Spirit to flow in Jesus' name. Father, our tech people and, and uh, behind the scenes doing numbers and organization, technological things, Lord, we ask blessing, blessing, Lord, as we just surrender all of that to you, oh God. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, as we determine wherever we are, the work, school, family, neighborhood, we devote to you. We ask that you would bring in the next step of the kingdom of God in our lives and the lives of those we know. The rule of God, the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit would rule among us, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Any prophetic sense as we close? Sorry. Craig mentioned, Craig mentioned Moses earlier in the, in the teaching just briefly, and um, I'm reminded that, you know, he was largely alone, aside from the Lord, in his calling, um, and yet God used him powerfully despite his fear and anxiety about stepping out in faith. But we have a whole family supporting us, you know? What more can we accomplish when we're encouraging and supporting and praying for one another? You know, we have a whole room full of errands for each Moses here. Um, God is with us. Our family of believers is with us. Who could stand against us? So, Lord, we just surrender our lives. We surrender this year to you. We invite you to move. Lord, show us your glory. Make our faces to shine with your glory because of your presence drawing near to us. And God, un unhinge our jaws, untangle our tongues, open our lips wide to declare and proclaim the truth of your glory, your beauty, your goodness, your love, your sacrifice for the world. God, forgive us for our fear, but help us to move past that, receive, receive that forgiveness. Stop um, blaming ourselves or not trusting ourselves it's a new year. This is a new opportunity, and you have new things you want to do in each one of us. Thank you, Lord.